This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> In fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of The Hardwood Knocks. This is Adam Frommel here with Dan Favalli and Andy Bailey. We have a special guest today. It is Alec Nathan. He is a breaking news writer for Bleacher Report, as well as a tortured Philadelphia 76ers fan. As you may have guessed, we're going to be talking about the Sixers today, which may only feed the depression Alex, Alec might be feeling here. So I think the natural first question to ask you is just, how are you holding up? Um, poorly. <laughs> uh, especially after the Embiid thing dropped yesterday, which is just sort of another addition to a long list of just awful goings-on. Um, I mean, it's tough, right? Because since since Hanky took over, there's been this sort of cycle of, will they improve? You know, there's going to be gradual improvement. I Sudafed wants to know, has congestion ever hit you in the face? Does the pressure make it feel like you're underwater? Does it feel like your head is in outer space? Mission Control, we have a sinus congestion problem. Well, there's help. Try new Sudafed PE Day Plus Night for maximum strength congestion relief. So you have help to beat back congestion. Try new Sudafed PE Day Plus Night. Open up. Use only as directed. Like, And you hope every season there's going to be sort of this uptick in hope and it just gets crushed every season. Like last year I was encouraged by the defense. I really was. And I thought Brown didn't, I thought Brett Brown did a really nice job coaching the team last year. Um, and I think he doesn't get enough credit, but then, I mean, and then this off season happens and it's just like another punch to the gut. It's brutal. Um, so I don't know. I don't know where the light at the end of the tunnel is, but it's not, coming anytime soon what <laughs> i don't know why this is the first question that popped into my head <laughs> have you heard bill simmons theory about sam hinkey oh that about, it's up here that's a it's a pyramid scheme 
Kinda, yeah. And how he <laughs> says, like, if you were a general manager, wouldn't your goal just be to like just tell people you're rebuilding year after year after year just for job security? Like, what do yeah, you think I mean, about that? I think um, it's partially in jest, but I, at yeah. the same time, like, it's been a long time. I think it's partially in jest, but it's, I mean, there's some truth behind it almost. It's comical, but, and something I was reading, I believe it was yesterday, it said, you know, uh, the principal owner, Josh Harris, isn't fed up with Hinky yet. He's still in his corner because the the uh, franchise value has doubled or tripled since he bought the team. And if you know anything about Josh Harris, it's that he is his company invests in bankrupt or close to bankrupt businesses and then builds them back up and then sells them for a profit. So it's almost like what he's trying to, I mean, I'm not saying that's what he's trying to do because I don't know, but you sort of look at it and the patient makes sense through that prism, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting to me that it, it feels like Hinky has been here for like a decade now and it's only been what, like three or four years? It's been, he came in uh, three years ago, right? I think and so. His first move was that Drew Holiday trade on draft night for New Orleans. To me, the sign that the 76ers are actually turning things around and aren't in this perpetual rebuild is when it's more interesting to talk about a player than it is to talk about Sam Hinkie. Because even with Joel Embiid, even with Nerlens Noel and Jaleel Okafor, the first priority has to be to talk about what in the world is Hinkie doing. Right. I think there were I think there were glimpses of that last season. I think I mean maybe I'm speaking from my Sixers point of view, but I was very excited about Nerlens last season, um, especially after the All-Star break. And I mean, I was also excited about KJ McDaniels before they traded him. <laughs> I thought he was going to be a really nice piece for them uh, off the bench, but that obviously didn't last. So yeah, but again, then there were there was some hope around the trade deadline, and then things happen, and he deals you know every promising player they had uh, for more draft picks. So. You just, it's just, like you said, it's like a vicious cycle. What's the you, justification? Sorry, Dan. Um, I was just going to say, what's the justification for moves like the KJ McDaniels one? How do you sell that? <laughs> so this has been my problem all along, and I was going to talk about this later, but I don't know how you sell any of these moves to a fan base that is already so out of touch with the team. I, there's no... There's no excitement around this team, period. And the only excitement you get is from the blind loyalists to Hanky who are just so gung-ho about every move and they want to turn every negative into a positive. I don't know how you can spin it because, and I think I wrote this uh, at the trade deadline last year, but like, it's just, you know, they took a step forward with KJ's development and then it's two steps back to get this second round pick in Isaiah Cannon. It's like, what, it's like, what is that, you know? Wasn't yeah, wasn't really what weird. they did with McDaniel's just an admission that they screwed up the negotiating process yes, before 100%. his rookie season had started? I mean, they didn't they didn't sign him to that typical hinky special deal where these guys are playing with team options and whatnot, and he was going to be a restricted free agent at the end of the year and command a salary that they weren't willing to pay. So it was just getting rid of him now. Yeah, and I give KJ credit for for holding out there too. I mean, why keep yourself stuck in that situation? He, if he wanted a long term deal, good. I applaud him for that. Um, and I think he made the right move by – he basically forced his way out of there. And a lot of these guys aren't going to be able to do that. What is the justification right now in terms of selling the front court pieces that they have? When you look at Nerland's Knoll, Jaleel Okafor, you still do have Embiid if you expect him ever to play. Dario Saric is just waiting overseas. What is the, what is the pulse of what do they see for this front court? 
honestly, I could. I, it, it's so jumbled, right? Nerland, I think the way I view it and the way I viewed it since they drafted Okafor, it's like between Okafor and Noel, they have one centerpiece between the two of them. Noel is an elite defensive player, and I don't really have qualms with saying that now because I think what he showed last season was enough. Um, and he was as expected on that end. But he's a total rebuild on offense. Um, he obviously worked on his jumper a lot over the summer, but it remains to be seen if he actually implements that 15-18 foot jump shot to give Okafor space to work down low. Okafor, you know he can work down low, but his conditioning and his defense are major concerns. So it's like between them you have one elite player, maybe. That's the hope. Uh, Noel offering the defense and Okafor offering the offense. And then Embiid, at this point, I'll be honest, I've just, I'm resigned to him never playing a single minute for this team. At this point, I like I don't see how you can have hope that he that it's going to happen. Is that sort of a popular opinion now? Because because that's interesting considering how big a piece of the puzzle he was considered not yeah, two I mean, years ago. I think he was he was considered the piece when they drafted him, and you know, and it was after the broken foot, and everyone said, okay, we're willing to wait a year if this guy is the piece. And then the second surgery happens, um, and based on what I've seen, I mean, the chatter I've seen on Twitter is like, yes, there are some people who hope he returns, but I think a big segment realizes that he may just be, whatever he offers from this point on may just be a bonus because pegging your hopes on his health at this point is just, it's not worth it. Does part of you think that the brain trust in Philadelphia is intentionally delaying the rebuild just because they did draft Embiid with all the health concerns? They drafted Noel right after the ACL tear. They drafted Saric knowing he was going to spend years overseas. And now they're taking Okafor, even though he's an NBA-ready offensive player, they know that his defense needs work. They know that his conditioning needs work. And it's almost like all of these moves, in some, mm-hmm. are, are not meant to compete yet. I think this is, this is my theory. My theory is that since, okay, they obviously took Okafor when they had a much more pressing need at guard and on the wing. I mean, that was obvious. But Hinky has always preached best talent available, and that's been the motto. And you maximize your assets and all of the you know financial mumbo jumbo that goes with it. But I think the end game here has to be some sort of trade. It has to be a trade for a superstar because otherwise, doing this thing organically, it's not. It's just going to take so so long. Like I applaud what the Jazz have done because they've done it very quickly or relatively quickly, and they found the right pieces, but this just doesn't have that same feel. This just feels like they're stockpiling to eventually unload. And I mean, this is the year when all the draft picks convey. The Lakers pick is unprotected. Uh, the Heat pick is unprotected. I think that Thunder pick they got in the JaVale trade from the Nuggets is also uh, the protections come or the protections come off or it's top 18, and the Thunder will be good this year. Um, so either way. But this is the year they're supposed to have the five first-round picks or whatever. So... If there's going to be a trade, and I don't know who the star is they target. I mean, maybe you say it's DeMarcus Cousins if he throws you know, a fit and says, I want out. But it, it's probably too early to say. But, I mean, I think that has to be the end game because I don't see this thing growing organically. Is there anybody on there you'd be sad to see go in a, a major trade like that? Uh, Nerlens is the only one. That's, I, that's every, kind of what I, I have. I have, no, I have like no attachment to any of the How? other players. <laughs> that's such if you think that's such a sad commentary on the last two years then because yep. of all the losing yep. that's gone down and it's culminated in one player who you essentially know has a future with this team. You know, we talk about maybe between Noel and Okafor they have one elite player. That's troubling in itself. I think Noel eventually being an elite player is on his own right, but can he play with the other cornerstones that are on the roster 
and just all that. And the fact that you just said again, I would keep Noel. I don't really have an attachment to anyone else. It's just bizarre after all that's happened. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> I'm I, the the Sixers have just beaten me into a, a state of like apathy, I guess, <laughs> with the exception of Nerlens. I want to see Nerlens prosper. But everyone else, it's like I'm just waiting to see what they can net them in a trade. That's pretty much right. After the Carter-Williams thing at the last trade deadline, I've seen everything. <laughs> Are you telling me you don't have any emotional attachment to the point guards they have on the roster? I mean, come on, <laughs> TJ McConnell? I like Tony Roten as like a video game player, but I can't stand – oh, my God. His tendencies are so maddening. Oh, Did any of you guys see that crazy stat I found about Isaiah Kanan the other day? No, what was it? Was it the mid-range shooting one? All pull-up shots. Okay. Like, among players who took at least two pull-up shots a game last season, he had the highest effective field goal percentage in the league. See, all right, I changed my mind. I have attachment to him. I don't want him to get traded either. <laughs> I, I want to pull up the stat, I, I think, because I wrote about it last year. I think Roten, before he tore his ACL, took, like, it was like zero or one mid-range shots wow. the entire year. It was unbe- looking at his shots chart awesome. was unbelievable. It was like it was like if you He's took the next Harden- James Harden. No, it was yeah, <laughs> like if you took Harden's shot chart and just made it so extreme. It was unbelievable. Um, I gotta pull it up here. Man, I just That's- feel like being a Sixers fan is so weird because if you root for these guys to get good, then they're now at risk of being traded. It's hard yeah. to develop attachments. Okay, so I'm looking at the shot chart right now. On NBA.com, if you look at the basic zones, the one that extends from outside the paint just all the way around, he took seven shots there the entire season and missed all seven. <laughs> like, and then he took and he took forty shots in the paint, not in the restricted area, and made four of them. Like, oh wow, yeah. this isn't a guy who's fun to watch. I mean, yeah, he can. He finishes with some like flair at the rim sometimes, but I, he's an efficient train wreck. Like <laughs> he is the opposite. I know Hinky and Bra- Brett Brown both preach like threes and getting to the line and you know and layups, but like this is <laughs> everything that Tony Roten does is just wrong. You know, he like, is fun to use gonna, in two K. I will say that. <laughs> well, I was going to say that is one thing that is kind of cool about the 76ers is that they have embraced like the new style of offense and analytics. They just don't they just don't have guys who can do it. <laughs> they just right, they don't have guys who can maximize. I think Stauskas fits. I mean, I think I'm very interested in him. I'm, this year. He, he's probably the guy I'm most interested outside of um I mean, I'm interested to see how Noel's jump shot uh, improves or doesn't improve, and I'm interested to see how Okafor works. But Stauskas is kind of an extension of Okafor in my eyes because he'll thrive so long as Okafor can pass out of double teams in the post. I think that's where he's going to thrive. Um, so if they can get him in catch and shoot opportunities, he could be a really nice get for them. I'm curious how you feel about the small forwards too, because I actually do like Robert Covington and yeah. to a lesser extent Jeremy Grant. Um, I like Robert Covington a lot. Um, he's, I mean, he proved he belongs on the team last year. He's pro, I mean, I'd say he's so you're saying he's going to get traded this year. <laughs> yeah. I'm well, it was funny. I think we talked about it last year at the trade deadline, but like, I think we did an exercise for the site, but it was like, it was like the Clippers really could have used a guy like Covington off the bench for their second unit. Like, I wonder if he could help a contender if he's available, you know? Um, but, but yeah, I like wondering the same thing. Yeah. He'll be available. <laughs> I like Covington. I like Jeremy Grant a lot, especially if, I mean, he he stepped out and hit threes last year, which wasn't anything he did at Syracuse. Um, 
So that was really encouraging. So you have to give, I mean, in some respects, you have to give Brett Brown and the player development people a lot of credit because they have honed skills in these guys that just like were non-existent before, um, especially with Jeremy Grant. I think he's like the model for it. Um, but I'm trying to think of other guys. Hollis Thompson is fine as just a, you know, spot up shooter, but he's not much more. Um, you mentioned, uh, I thought that was interesting about Brett Brown being able to develop guys and hone skills. And I don't know if you have an answer to this. Maybe it's just a conversation for all of us, but I can't imagine what that would feel like as a coaching staff to work with a guy for a few months and like see notable improvement on things that you've worked on. And just to know that he could be gone at the drop of a hat. Right. So I've thought about this a lot because I, everything Brett Brown says is along the company line. He is honest um, to his credit. He is honest and will say, you know, like we are playing. He's like, we're playing to win this year. Like we're not, but whatever. But it must be tough for him knowing that he's, like you said, he's investing so much time and effort into, into developing these guys. And then they ship them off for these faceless assets. So just future draft picks. Yeah. And then it's like all his work was for nothing just so this guy can prosper somewhere else on a team that he's going to have to play. It's like that can't be fun for him. Yeah, that's got to be really tough. But on the bright side, he's never going to get fired. There are no <laughs> <Yeah>. expectations. <laughs> well, yeah. If, if, I mean, he said when he signed on uh, after Hanky was brought here, he said, you know, I wanted four years. I think he signed four years guaranteed. And he was like, I wasn't going to do it for anything less because I wanted that security. And I, there have been some articles written about a possible extension for him soon. And I mean, <laughs> he probably, I, you have to imagine he'll stick around to see how this thing plays out. But I mean, what does that extension look like? <laughs> I have no idea. But I, I do agree that he's done a good job with what he's yeah. been handed. And you said at the very beginning that last year the big takeaway was that they improved on defense. Yeah. And I'm not sure how sustainable that is now that you have Okafor lumbering in at the five. Mm-hmm. But if Brown is is really that good on that end of the court, then is this going to be another average, maybe even better than average defensive team? I I mean I hope so. They made so much progress there last year. I, they ranked what twelfth or thirteenth in defensive rating. I think they were like right above the Bulls. Um, so that was awesome. And I I like they were competitive in a lot of games late in the season. They played the Warriors really close at home. Um, and the Warriors are playing their full complement of guys. It was it was a fun team to watch at times down the stretch. They are entertaining uh, for like league pass purposes. But everything I've seen in the preseason from their defense has been just god awful. They their transition defense is the worst I've ever seen. They just they don't get down the floor at all. They just linger and linger and linger. And I'm really worried that they're going to have trouble there, and that this thing is just going to be a train wreck for the first three months. Yeah, I mean, I guess that wouldn't surprise me. It's, it's just it's difficult to see where the progress is going to come from because you do, yeah. you do build on defense this last year and then you bring in the liability. So you're not exactly working to build those strengths. And if you aren't doing that, then what, are, what is this team working towards right, right now? And it's also, I think it's unfortunate that the t- I mean, I think Nerlens is so talented. Last se- he had such a good season last year. I, I, people don't realize, like, he tied Anthony Davis in defensive win shares. They had the exact same number. And he had a better, I think it was a better defensive box score plus minus than both leading defensive player of the year candidates. Better than Draymond, better than Kawhi. Um, I, he, he's really special on that end. And he changes the game in so many ways, and he's so versatile. But on a team that's just like a laughing stock, it's like he almost gets glanced over. 
Yeah, I thought I thought he should have received much stronger Rookie of the Year consideration than he did, especially yeah. because he was unbelievably good during the second half of the year once that mid-range shot started to come together. Yeah. I mean, he was what? He was the the second rookie ever, I think, to average 1.5 steals and 1.5 blocks. Him that and David Robinson. I, mean, I, think, I think he's like one of only nine to average one and one as a rookie. Yeah, he's he has really special talent on that end. If he ever puts it together on offense, if he ever gets that little mid-range jump shot he's been talking about since he got drafted, like he could be a really, really nice centerpiece mm-hmm. for them or someone else. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned the uh, Joel Embiid article earlier. Um, mm-hmm. There was a piece published on the Cauldron over at Sports Illustrated about Joel Embiid. Um, I actually didn't read it. Dan and Adam did, but I know the gist of it. What What's sort of the general feel of Philly fans and writers over that? The sense I got was like, is just a, like again <laughs> you know like this is happening again the, you know there were those reports last year that he uh that he had gained all that weight if you guys remember and then and that was at when he was working out too it was like and then they started posting all those the, the team started posting all those vines of him you know working out pregame and he looked good and then there was the vine of him dunking between the legs and then shortly after that there was the rumblings that he broke his foot again and it turns out that he did. I don't know if it was on that play or not. Um, but the fact of the matter is he did break his foot again. And it's just like, it's, it's so unfortunate. Cause he's clear. I mean, we only saw him in, you know, in a small sample at Kansas, but like he has everything you want in a modern big man. He's like, he's like Serge Ibaka on steroids. If he's healthy, mm-hmm. you know, like he, he has all the, he has all the range in the world. He can step out. He's a shot blocker. He has awesome footwork in the post. Like, but I think the general feeling was just, you know, this is happening again. It's like this is just the same old thing, and this is going to keep happening. <laughs> I remember. I generally don't really get excited about college basketball players until after mm-hmm. they've declared for the draft, and I start watching film on them and stuff like that. Um, but. He was one player that I tuned in for and watched his games live because mm-hmm. he was a spectacle at Kansas. Yeah. He was doing things that I just uh, – the Hakeem Olajuwon comparison sounded crazy when you first heard him, but then you watched him play and it was – he was incredible. He he had a chance to be that kind of player and it's so sad to see what's happening now. Yeah. Well, it's also so sad because, I mean, you think about it, he hasn't been playing basketball for that long, so you wonder how much exactly. upside is there. There's so – there's so much untapped potential there in a pro system where they can develop his skills so much more. It's like, a sp- and I was talking about like if Brett Brown got his hands on a healthy Joel Embiid for a full off season, full regular season, like I, <laughs> it makes me sad when I think about what that could be. But I think when we're evaluating college prospects, sometimes the phrase "he improves every game" gets tossed about a little bit too mm-hmm. freely. But with him, it was pretty accurate. I mean, if you go yeah. back and you watch tape of every game, he's adding something every single time. And that's that's footwork in the post. That's range on his jumper. It's defensive rotations. He really actually seemed to exemplify that phrase. And it's what made him so exciting because he wasn't truly on the radar coming into that freshman season at Kansas. That was Andrew Wiggins' team. And piece by piece, you know, he moved all the way up to number one on the board. And now we don't know what could be. Yeah. Just yeah, a moment of silence for him, I guess. <laughs> we, I think we need more than one moment. Yeah, hopefully we won't again next year. <laughs> oh my god, I can't, I can't 
fathom what it would be like if he misses a third straight season. <laughs> what would what would happen if he actually doesn't even play a game for the? It would, so okay, it's like so, Andrew Bynum. Yeah, well, I, that was I was just about to say that it would be the. I mean, the Bynum thing was only one year, but I, <laughs> I guess it it would be that just with, with so much more heartache. And it's funny too, and I want to see someone write like an oral history of this one day, but. <laughs> The Bynum trade is what caused every single thing we're talking about to happen. It's just been a huge trickle-down effect. They trade for Bynum. They pin all their hopes on that. They bring in Jason. They get Jason Richardson in that trade. They have, I think they had Swaggy that year, too. Um, Doug they Collins. Drew Holiday had, that year, too. Yeah, they had yeah, Drew Holiday. Um, they had Hawes. They had Turner. They had Thad. Um, and they had just come off a... They were one game from the Eastern Conference Finals the year before that, which was improbable and, you know... Aided by Derrick Rose. Aided by Derrick Rose tearing his knee, exactly. But, so, if that... If if Bynum shakes out and he's healthy, they don't trade Drew the following summer. I mean, maybe they don't even hire Hanky, right? Yeah. Maybe Rod Thorne is still running that team. He's the one... I remember (laughs) at the time they said... There was, I think there was a quote in the Woj story uh, when they made the trade. It was like he ro- like Rod Thorne robbed them with a ski mask. And like, I think a lot of people felt that way too because it was like, oh, you're giving up Andre Iguodala. I loved Iguodalo. that trade at the time. Yeah. Every, I mean, listen, I think the logic was right. I think you make that trade 10 times out of 10 given where the franchise was going. And they saw the vision. They, like, they knew that they were going to peak if they didn't make another move and things were going to go downhill. So... I think it made sense, but it's just unfortunate the way it played out. And then they hire Hanky, Brown comes in, they trade Drew, and then the rebuild starts. And every move since then is a product of that Bynum catastrophe. There's an alternate universe where they gave Andrew Bynum that contract. After his- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to remember, but at the, t- at the time, and my memory could be betraying me here, I, there were no concerns that Andrew Bynum was going to turn into Andrew Bynum, right? Like no, was- I... I don't think so. I think I, I, I'm like so embarrassed to admit this, but I wrote the Sixer season preview for BR. I think the right after they made that trade, and I think I predicted like 50 some wins for that team. <laughs> and well, they've and gotten that, have they gotten to 50 in the years combined since then? I don't think so. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean. I just remember writing that and feeling so excited. I was like, oh, all these years of suffering and being the eighth seed with, you know, terrible, like, Andre Miller-led teams. This is awful. <laughs> and now we have a real superstar and a centerpiece, and this is going to be great, and holidays on the rise, and maybe Evan Turner isn't the worst person ever. Maybe I don't hate him so much. And then, <laughs> then it all just fell apart. All right, so speaking of predictions, let's hear it for this year. Oh, my God. Um, wow. This year, I think. I mean, I think they're the worst team in the East for sure. They're the worst team in the NBA this year. Let's be let's be real. I'd like to say they're not going to be. I'd like to be optimistic. I think Nerlens will improve as the year goes on, um, and I think the biggest positive that comes out of this year one will be no injuries to Noel and Okafor. That would be great, and two will do no setbacks with Embiid's recovery. And three, if Noel can learn how to play off of Okafor, because I've seen it a lot during the preseason. You know, obviously Okafor establishes position either on the blocks or just below the foul line. And Nerlens is sort of used to hovering around there. Not that they would ever run post-ups for him, but he would sort of hover there and linger and wait for guys to drive and then 
uh, catch dump offs and then go to work. So I've seen in the preseason a lot, he's sort of out of position. So if he can learn how to appropriately space the offense around Okafor and develop his jump shot at the same time, he doesn't need to hit, you know, a ton of his jumpers. Like, what would you guys say is a good number if he hit 30? Yeah, I was thinking 40. Yeah, if he hit 38 to 40% of his mid-range jumpers, that would be a huge improvement. And that would give me some moderate hope. Um, But yeah, I see another high lottery pick. Whether it's the top pick, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. But they've missed missed out on Wiggins because of the Embiid trade. They missed out on D'Angelo because the Lakers swooped in. Maybe they get Ben Simmons. That would be great. They need a wing so bad mm-hmm. um i it the, if they get wiggins instead of mb this whole th- i mean if mb never breaks his foot that's the other thing here it's like we talk about the bynum hypothetical but if mb never breaks his foot wiggins is on the sixers so yeah poor wiggins <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah gun to your head how many wins oh man i they had what last year 18 18 mm-hmm. I, one more than the knicks the over more than 17 <laughs> I mean, they had the over under in Vegas is what it's like twenty and a half or twenty one and a half. I think is really well, which is pretty generous. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna go under there. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say they win twenty games, and I feel I feel like that's a stretch. What do you think? Twenty Andy? seems fair. Do you think they yeah. could be a better team than last season? Yes, but I think it's gonna take a, a lot of time. It's funny, going into the podcast, I thought they were going to be a lot better, and now that I've actually said everything out loud, I'm thinking, wow, they are going to be terrible for the first few months of the season. Like, I, I don't think they're going to threaten that losing streak, but, but, uh, but there's going to be some serious pain. Well, now that Hardwood Knox has succeeded in making Alec all good and sad, it is officially <laughs> time for... Our astute guest, Mr. Alec Nathan, will be grabbing the burning baking stick, and I'm sure he will have some good words to say. Yeah, uh, I don't have a lot to rant on, but my one thing, the one thing that just bugs me so much, I'm going to stick with the Sixers theme here, is I just can't stand the hinky loyalist, blind truther thing, whatever you want to call it. It's, it drives me insane. I'm all for optimism when it's warranted, but there is nothing about this team that (laughs) should make fans optimistic. Um, I think the way the franchise is run right now, they're kind of doing a disservice to casual fans too. I don't, I mean, you can see the building every night on league pass. It's empty. And it's just, I don't see the need for, I see all these Sixers bloggers and people on Twitter. It's like every time there's a move, they have to jump to the defense of the team. Even if what the team is doing doesn't make the most sense long term. It's just, it, it doesn't always have to be an us versus them mentality. And I think it's gotten to this point where the polls are so extreme. It's like, you know, it's like they teach you in like political science. Like our political system has become so polarized with lib- liberals and conservatives. It's like that's where we've gotten with the Sixers. It's like it's <laughs> there's one side that's all the way on the left and there's one side that's all the way on the right. And they just butt heads constantly. And it doesn't need to be like that. Because I don't think every move needs to be rationalized like it's, you know, like Hinky is this all-knowing God. I think he's very smart and I think he knows what he's doing. But I don't think we need to rush to judgment 
and defend the Sixers every time they make a move, especially when it's the wrong one. <laughs> so who's Donald Trump in this metaphor? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> that's a great question. Donald Trump in this metaphor is, I mean... Donald say- Trump makes deals. Just like Sam <laughs> Which deals? The best deals. Donald Trump is the opposite of whoever the Sixers owner is, right? Because his things go bankrupt, and then the Sixers <laughs> owner buys them and then flips them. <laughs> so, so he's Josh Harris's best client. Yes, there you go. He's Josh Harris's best client. Well, I won't justify any of the uh, Philadelphia 76ers moves. Uh, I'm as confused as anybody by them and the direction, and I, I might be more confused now than I was at the start of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a comment on Alec, who is obviously very knowledgeable on what's going on on the team. We appreciated having him on. Um, Alec, what's your Twitter handle? It is at Alec B. Nathan. All right, so you guys can find Alec at Alec B. Nathan if you want to talk to him about the Sixers direct, or anything like that. all of your vitriol. To my account, <laughs> or really all sports, because Alec Alec covers pretty much everything for Bleacher Report. I do. Um, Adam is at Frommel zero nine F R O M A L zero nine. Dan is at Dan Favale F A V A L E. I'm at Andrew D Bailey, and of course the show is at Hardwood Knox. If you guys listen on iTunes, make sure you subscribe or or give us a rating there or both. If you listen on Stitcher, favorite us. Uh, we really appreciate those of you who, who listen consistently and those of you who are new. Um, and as always, of course, we end the podcast with a shout-out to Dino Udry. <laughs> the iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> In fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. Hi, I'm Rick, store director from the Mill Valley Safeway. Our pick four sales back with over 100 items to choose from. It's simple. Mix and match any four participating items. That's right, any four. They don't have to be the same, so mix and match away. Here's a few to choose from. Lean Cuisine and Stouffer's Simple Dishes or Signature Classics Entrees, 6 to 13 ounce selected varieties, only $1.77, and Kellogg's Cereal 10 to 12 ounce, $1.69 each. When you buy four, look for the red tags in store. This is Rick from the Mill Valley Safeway, and we'll see you soon.